Isaiah 51. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke. Smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. And they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever. And my righteousness will never be dismayed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading is from uh, Jude. This will be the sermon text too. Jude verses 20-25. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 13th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. And Jesus said, But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then He will send out the angels and gather His elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that He is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but My words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the cock crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Uh, Okay, uh, Jude. Let's talk about Jude. Uh, We don't know who uh, Jude is, really. Um, Jude is is just the word for Judah. And uh, he says in there that he's a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Uh, We don't know who James... Part of the problem is is that Jewish males in the first century, there's like five names. There's actually a stat on this. If you go through and read Josephus, there's five names that 75% of Jewish males are called. There's uh, Jacob or or James, which is the same thing. Uh, There's Judah. There's Simon. One of them is uh, Joshua or as the Greek New Testament. Do you guys know this? Here's a random uh, trivia for you. Joshua is a super common Jewish name in the first century. Transliterated, transliterated into Greek, it comes out Jesus. Jesus' name is actually Joshua. And so uh, there's tons of guys named Joshua or Jesus in the first century. 
So it makes it hard when you say Judah, son of James. Who is that? We, we really aren't sure. But if this is James the Just, then that makes Jude uh, the uh, biological half-brother of Jesus. But um, oh, we, don't, we just don't know for sure. We also, we don't know who he's writing to. It's not like a specific church. One thing we do know from reading Jude, Jude is a little tiny book at the end of the uh, New Testament, right before Revelation, is that he's writing to a church that's struggling with internal divisions. And the internal, so sometimes the guys in the New Testament will write letters because there's sort of outside pressures on the church that they're trying to protect the church from, or encouraging the church to live in the world, but not of the world, that sort of thing. Jude is written in or, because there's like stuff going on inside the church. There's these tensions and uh, there's these divisions. And the divisions, according to Jude, are called by people who are uh, fake Christians. More on that in just a second. He writes uh, the, this letter to Jude and in verses 3 and 4, which isn't in your bulletin. He says, uh, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So I wanted to write to you about like what we all believe is true. I wanted to write to you about this common faith that we share. This is the goal of, of every church, right? I mean, this is the goal of the church at large beyond the walls of St. James is to share in common this faith that we have in Jesus Christ. But I can't do that because you have these internal struggles. And so what I had to do instead, he says, is write to you and encourage you to stay firm in the foundation of the faith that was once delivered to you. What is that foundation of faith? It's this. It's the story of God's plan to rescue the world. The Bible is fundamentally a story of a creation that God designed and it was beautiful and it was exactly like he wanted it. Of human beings who screwed the whole thing up by rebelling against him. And of God's elaborate and thousand year developing plan to rescue that creation back to himself. By calling Abraham, establishing Israel, by choosing David to be his king forever, by uh, sending his son Jesus uh, to die on the cross and to rise from the dead to rescue us from our sins. Stay true to that story. That's your story. Stay true to that story. Stay firm in that foundation of faith. And we get to verse uh, 20, uh, 20, which is, this This will be in your bulletin now. <clears throat> but you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Actually, can I back up and read uh, from verse 17, which leads into there? And it's all, actually all part of the same sentence in Greek. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ foretold They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. So remember in the last days, there's going to be scoffers. What does that mean, scoffers? It doesn't mean like there's people laughing, sitting in the pews laughing at you for being a Christian. It means like mockers, people who are parodying the Christian faith. People who have joined the church, church people, they look good, right? You know, I mean, they, they, they look and act and talk like church people. But they're actually, they're, they're scoffers, they're mockers. They aren't on your side. And it looks like these are the people who are causing divisions. And in fact, that line here, tell me if this isn't the, this isn't the case. Um, verse 19, Jude says, these are the men who divide you. It, it seems, maybe, maybe it implies, maybe it doesn't, but maybe it implies that these people are saying, you guys who are standing firm on the foundation of faith, you're dividing the church. You're creating divisions. And Jude is saying, no, it's actually them. They're the people who are actually dividing the church because they think they think in worldly terms, or as the NIV says, they think, uh, what does it say? These are people who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. They're members of the church, but they don't react, they don't act, they don't think, they don't talk, they don't behave 
like people who have the Holy Spirit. They think in worldly terms. This is really easy for all of us to do in the church, right? To think in terms of money or power, control, these sorts of things. But if you have the Holy Spirit, there's a different underneath way of thinking or upside down way of thinking that has nothing to do with money or power or control and has everything to do with service and love and self-sacrifice. And you can tell people who are living in the Spirit, I'm not saying you can tell people who are Christians and not Christians, you can't tell that, but you can tell people who are living in the Spirit by their response to situations. Is their response about money or about control and power or is it about self-sacrifice and service? Those are the people, the people who are not thinking in terms of Holy Spirit uh, pattern thinking. These are the people who are dividing the church. And so you need to be on guard against them. And how do you do this? He says in verse 20, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, pray in the Holy Spirit, and keep yourselves in the love of God. You have to keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So keep yourself in the love of God. Now, what does that mean? Keep yourself in the love of God. It can mean one of two things. So what I'm, what I'm asking right now is, what is love of God? What is, what is love of God here? It can mean this. It can mean keep yourself in your love for God. Or it can mean keep yourself, keep yourself in the love of God can mean keep yourself in God's love for you. It's unsure, like, syntactically what that means. You should keep yourself in your love for God. I guess I don't need to say that, really. Keep loving God. You should do that. It might be the case that what it means is keep yourself in God's love for you. Keep yourself in the love of God that he has for you. In other words, be warned that it's possible to reject Christ in such a way that you could find yourself outside of the boundaries of what it's safe to call Christian. I'm not going to nobody knows. Maybe you don't even know whether you're a believer or not when you're in that state. But there, there, are certain, there are certain things that you, there, there's a, a way that you could deny Christ where it would be unsafe for you to assume that you're a Christian. Right? Keep yourself in the love of God. Don't abandon the faith in such a way that you're outside of God's love for you. Now, of course, this is, uh, do, do, I, do I need to say this? This is like a, an impossible task. I can't even get up in the morning with a good attitude because, you know, my shoulder hurts or there's nothing tasty for breakfast or the traffic at the dang bridges has this backed up 45 minutes. Or, the, you know, the coworkers that are just really irritating, and you know that, that today you're going to have to work alongside of one of them. It's, 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 it's hard enough just to, like, keep a smile on your face, let alone keep yourself in the love of God. It's an impossible task to keep yourself in God's love. It's an impossible task to, to, to live that kind of life where you, you, like, know, oh, yeah, God loves me. Right? And this is why Jude says... This is super important. Pay attention to what Jude says here. In the last two verses, he says this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. He's talking about God. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So you see what he says. Look at verse 21. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And then in verse 24, he says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Keep yourselves in the love of God because God is able to keep you from stumbling. Do you see what Jude is doing? Jude is, okay, so I just preached this sermon in Good Shepherd, and um, I think that I saw lots of people with, uh, like, uncomprehending looks on their faces. I'm going to assume that's because I did a really, really poor job of explaining what I'm about to say next. I'm warning you 
that I'm going to do a poor job of explaining what I'm going to try to explain. I need you to lock in and focus because uh, you're going to have to help me out. I'm having, I'm having a hard time making this clear. Here's what Jude is doing. He's in, he wants you in your life to keep yourself in the love of God. But he's encouraging you to do that by telling a story. And the story that he's telling has three parts. Part one is this, the foundation of faith once delivered, where he says in verse 20, build yourself up in your most holy faith. The, the faith once delivered goes like this. I've already told this story, so I'm not going to do it again. It's the story of God's plan to rescue the world, which culminates in him becoming a human being and dying and rising to pay for our sins and to make all things new. That's the first part of the story. That's your story. That's the front half of your life story. And then he tells part three of the story. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding great joy on the last day. In other words, Jesus is going to return and set all things to right. And he is so locked into you guys that he is going to prevent you from stumbling. He's going to keep you from falling. Now, the second part of the story is the story that you and I are living in now. This kind of like weird part where you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow with your life or in the next few minutes. And he's saying, keep yourself in the love of God. But that only works. Keep yourself in the love of God only works if you see the whole meta narrative, the beginning of creation, the fall, God's plan to redeem the world, and God's plan to someday return and, and, be, and finish what he began at the cross in the empty tomb. And that you are in this, you and I are playing a part in this same story with this trajectory that goes from the cross to Christ's return. Can I say it this way? Those of you who've done the new members class here, you've heard me do this little story here, so um, uh, you can check out for a second. There is, uh, imagine this. Imagine this scenario. There's So Shakespeare, greatest playwright in the English language history, history of English language. Imagine that Shakespeare, uh, you know, he wrote all these plays, and we, we, we know the plays, and all over the world they, they perform these plays. Imagine that we found a play that he had written that was undiscovered previously. Imagine maybe some farm, farmhouse in England up in the attic. They found this play. It, the provenance is all correct. Like the handwriting is legit. The timing is legit. The style of the manuscript that it's written on is perfect. Everybody knows this is a play written by Shakespeare. Brand new. Nobody's ever seen this before. And of course, this would like shake the world if something like this actually happened. But now imagine that, that we took this manuscript and we started to study this manuscript and we realized that, you know, so Shakespeare typically wrote with five acts. And in each of those acts, there was three or four scenes. So they're studying this play. It's a great story. And it's got act one, act two, act three, act four, and act five. It's all there except for it's missing scene three from act four. The, the next to last, the, the, the next to last act in the play is missing the last scene. It's gone. I mean, maybe it's, you know, there's burn marks there or whatever, or been cut out or whatever. You don't, we, I'm not going to make that up that part of the story, but it, it's missing. Now, what would you do? What would be the best way to handle this? Hire J.K. Rowling and have her make up that third scene, right? No, I don't think that would be the best way to do it. I think the best way to do it would be this. You give this to some, maybe the, the Royal Shakespeare Company, so some theatrical troupe which specializes in Shakespeare that's made up of women and men, actors and actresses, who really get Shakespeare. They've studied him their whole life. They have all these Shakespeare plays memorized. They get what makes Shakespeare tick. 
They get his stories and say to them, okay, here's this play. We want you to memorize the first three scenes, the first three acts and the first two scenes of the fourth act and memorize the fifth act. And then what we want you to do is we want you to get up on stage and just improvise when you get to that third scene. But the rules are you have to stay true to the first three acts and the first two scenes of the fourth act. And you also have to be doing the story in a way that leads to the fifth act and culminates in the fifth act. And so, like, if you're a mailman in the first three scenes, first three acts, and you're a mailman in the fifth act, you can't, in act four, scene three, all of a sudden decide to become a deep-sea explorer. It doesn't make any sense to the story. You have to be leading the story along so that it finishes properly. Does it make sense? All right. This is actually what the Bible is doing. This is what Jude is doing to us. Jude is telling the story. He's telling the first three acts. He's telling the story of creation. And then the next act is the fall and the redemption and the story of Israel and the story of Jesus. And then we get to, he tells also tells the fifth act. He tells the story about Jesus returning and making all things new and setting everything to right again. And then he says, you guys are in act four, scene three. And basically what you're doing is you're improvising. That's what we're doing here as Christians. We're just making junk up. But we're making junk up based upon the foundation of the original story, not deviating from the original story. And we're completing the fifth act. Right? You don't get to all of a sudden, as a Christian, decide to say, oh, murder's fine. Because in the first four and a half acts, murder is evil because it's destroying the image of God. And in the fifth act, we also know that murder is bad. Because in the new creation, there'll be no more death and no more crime. And so we as Christians are people who value life. And we try to defend each other's lives. And we try to advance each other's lives and benefit each other's lives. Because that's a part of the story. Right? I'll, I'll give you an example. And this, this came up uh, last week in adult Bible study downstairs. So again, some of you have heard this story a week ago. I, so if you grew up in this area, and I didn't, and I didn't grow up Lutheran, there's this weird thing as, as an outsider, and that is like the tensions between the athletic teams from the different Lutheran schools, right? So people actually like have really, really bad feelings. And I've always, I've always looked at that and been like, okay. So, you know, I, I, I came to faith. I became a Christian at Good Shepherd. And it wasn't long before I heard like people from different schools make jokes about evil shepherd and stuff like that. Okay, haha, that's funny. I don't get it. Like eighth grade sports, like who gives a rip? Why, who cares about eighth grade sports? And then I remembered, and I told this story to the adult Bible study, that I was the same way, just not here in Ohio when, when my dad was the principal of a school in Ohio. And there was a school there who um, I, I and my friends on my team at my school literally hated. They were bullies. They were obnoxious. Uh, they, would, they would try to hurt you. You know that kind of team that would try to hurt you. Their fans were rude. Um, and do, do you remember, uh, can I talk to my parents real quick? Uh, Briscoe Run. We, we hated those guys. We hated them, the players. We hated their coaches. We hated their fans. We hated the refs that they hired. You, you guys around here who grew up, in the, you know what I'm talking about, right? And um, one time, we were beginning a basketball game, and we were in their gym. It was an away game. And their coach opened in prayer, you know, like they do. 
And then he prayed this prayer. He said, in the course of the prayer, he said something along the lines of, um, someday in glory, all of us in this room who are Christians will be together. And my stomach literally turned. To, to think about actually being with those people forever and ever. Why was that? The answer is, I wasn't acting out the story right. I was a mailman who decided to be a deep sea diver. The first part of the story, the Bible, the faith once delivered to us, tells us a story of how Christ died for me and Christ died for them. And then the last part of the story, Act 5, you can go to Revelation 7 for this, tells a part of the story where everybody, every people from every tribe and tongue and ethnic group or gathered around the throne of God forever and ever worshiping Him. And here was I, in the middle of the story, in my little part, and I wasn't keeping myself in the love of God. I was rewriting the story so that it went against the beginning story and the end story. See what John, you see what Judah's doing? He's trying to get you to see that you are a part of the story that God is writing. You are a character given the wonderful Holy Spirit-controlled ability to freelance a story. And now do it in the story. Does this, I mean, this helps me out. Like if I think of like, if you think of like good works, like do good works. Why should you do good works? Keep yourself in the love of God. Okay, all right, why? Because God won't like you if you don't do that. No, 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 no. You guys are believers. Those of you who are believers, you're believers. God loves you. You can never lose that. Why? Because that's a part of the story. God is writing this story, and you're a character in it. And in the story that he's writing, you're the kind of person who loves the people on the other team. You actually would like to hate because they're obnoxious. What right do I have to give in to sexual lust? What right do I have to give in to greed? What right do I have to give in to bitterness or lack of faith? When the story that God is writing about my life depicts me as a person of love and selflessness. Of course I'm going to fail. And that's why we have to have the back end of the story where God says to us, no, no. Keep on loving God because God will not let you fall. You can keep yourself in the love of God because you can't keep yourself in the love of God. But now you know that God himself will keep you in his love. He himself on the last day will prevent you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Amen.